Is America facing a bus supply and availability crisis? I'm Paul Comfort, and on this episode of Transit Unplugged, we speak with the executive director of America's Bus Coalition, Ed Redfern, and also their Washington advocate for the organization, Joel Rubin, about the supply chain concern that many public transit agencies are facing right now. And we bring in Julia Castillo and Brooke Ramsey, the executive director and business manager for HerdUp, the heart of Iowa regional transit agency. And they talk about the troubles they've been having with large price increases and availability of buses. So much so that they've led a multi-state coalition with a request to the Federal Transit Administration to grant a Buy America waiver for an offshore bus manufacturer. We also take a look at the supply side and we speak with Patrick Scully, who is chief commercial officer for one of America's largest bus suppliers. He gives some ideas on interim solutions while the market, he says, works its way out after this post-pandemic period of supply chain challenges. All this on Transit Unplugged. We're excited today to have a great in-depth interview with four leading experts here in the United States talking about one of our biggest challenges, which is buses, <laughs> the lack of buses. And we've got a great panel put together by the Bus Coalition. And so we're going to dive in today into some of the challenges we're having on the supply side and what some possible solutions are when it comes to uh, making sure we have enough buses, both you know battery electric, hydrogen, and the old traditional diesel buses. So great to have with us my good friend, Ed Redfern, who is executive director of the Bus Coalition. Ed, thank you for helping to put together this panel for us, talk about this hot topic. Well, we, we appreciate you having us on our our concern of course is the availability of buses the problems that systems like herda in des moines is having getting any buses mm. at all and that problem is a national problem it is not local to just one or two systems it's clearly becoming a real issue in providing service to the people that all our transit systems, not only in the rural areas, but in paratransit service around the United States. So the Bus Coalition, which I am executive director of and started 10 years ago, we have gotten involved, but in support a lot with uh, CTAA. They've kind of taken the lead on this issue because so many, all I guess all of their systems are basically hurt by what's going on in the industry at this time. Yeah, I remember, I think it was at the CTAA conference where you first came up to me and said, Paul, this is a real issue. We need to we need to focus on this. And I was able to go to your bus coalition uh, meeting at APTA Expo in Orlando this year, a big group, a uh, massive group. And and it was also a focus there. Ed, just uh, before we go any further, t- give us 30 seconds on the bus coalition, who you are, how big you are. It's a very impressive organization. We, the Bus Coalition started about 10 years ago when they cut the funding for bus transit uh, programs by about 60%. And uh, a number of 17 transit systems from around the country, I put them together, we sat down and we started this coalition. We focus on one thing, and that is bus transit funding. We, we agree that all transit modes and uh, programs need to be lifted together. And we, we tried to, and, and we got in the last authorization bill, a pretty sizable increase in bus funding and at the same time set it up so we were back at the 20% level for bus systems. 
from all transit funds. That's good. And how many members do you have and where are they spread geographically? Um, well, they're all over the United States. Uh, we're on, I think, 48 of the states now. We have about 900 members. And of that, about 200 of them are paying members. Others are just regular members yeah. that have joined and agree with what we're trying to do. And you mentioned some of the work you do is in Washington, D.C., or most of it is. And Joel Rubin, you help them do that, right? Uh, introduce yourself for us. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much, Paul. I really appreciate the opportunity. So my name is Joel Rubin. I work for the Bus Coalition. I'm their Washington representative, which basically means their boots on the ground here in Washington, D.C., and been fighting and working with Ed and our Bus Coalition board to make sure that folks on Capitol Hill and the administration uh, understand the value of buses, understand the benefits that bus transit service provides to communities across the country in urban or rural and suburban areas. And um, like Ed said, our main focus is on getting those resources back to where they were and where they need to be for bus transit um, to get funding for bus replacement, bus expansion and bus facilities. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. We're going to talk about um some of the areas that are solutions, such as a Buy America waiver with you a little bit later. Also excited to have with us Julie Castillo from HERDA, the heart of Iowa Transit Agency. Welcome, Julia. Thank you, Paul. Hi, I am from HERDA, and we are located in central Iowa. We service seven counties that are all rural. They surround the Des Moines metro area, and we cover about 4,000 square miles. Wow, um, that's massive. It is massive. Um, we have about 70 vehicles in our fleet, and we have, since post-pandemic, we now have about 60 employees, um, including the drivers. Very good. And we're going to talk to you about some of the issues you've been having uh, trying to get buses. And Brooke Ramsey, you've been at the, the lead of this trying to get buses for them. Tell us about yourself and what you do there at HERDA. Hi, Paul. Thank you. So I'm the business manager at HERDA. <clears throat> I've worked for Julia for 13 years, believe it or not. And done a lot of things uh, at the agency that's common in rural systems. Um, but one of the things I'm responsible for is heading the procurement of our fleet and ordering the vehicles for our, our system. So it has been very challenging, as you've heard from all of us here today, and we're looking forward to trying to find some resolutions. Tell us about, I mean, while we're here talking to you, tell us about the challenges you've been having. What, what are you doing and what are the issues you're facing and trying to get buses? So as an example, um, we ordered vehicles two years ago and our our orders were canceled by the manufacturer stating that they could no longer make the vehicles at the price that they had in the contracts. So we had to work with our state DOT on how to address this issue and they were able to secure new contracts uh, that caused a delay in delivery. Some of the vehicles still have not been completed we just received nine of 18 vehicles that we ordered two years ago. And Julia did downsize the fleet, as, as she mentioned, during the pandemic. So we also looked at the number of vehicles and the type of vehicles that we were using in service, trying to help curb some of this issue. So with the Ford Transits that, that we started to order, those increased in cost by over $20,000. With the cutaway buses is particularly challenging in getting deliveries, but also with the cost. So a vehicle that we ordered before COVID was about $100,000. And now that same vehicle 
is over 175,000. And that does not include everything it takes for us to make the vehicle ready for service, graphics, radios. So you're probably only able to buy half as many as you thought you had a budget for. Yeah, we're and we're starting to talk about that too. If if we have vehicles that we have through the 5339 program that are eligible to be replaced, how are we going to handle this? Because even the amount of money we requested on 5339 grants doesn't meet the amount of money it's going to cost to replace them. Brooke, what is the age of your fleet? Yeah, Ed, that's a great point. The state of Iowa has the second oldest fleet in the nation. And within Iowa, Herta has the second oldest fleet. Before COVID, our fleet was probably sitting about 60% past its useful life. And as of today, we're at 88%. And wow. we're not talking a little past useful life. We're talking <laughs> three times past the useful life. So if a vehicle should be in service um, five years, we're running them 13 years before they were placed. And this was before this manufacturing crisis. So mm-hmm. now we've got these vehicles, they're 15 years old and we can't get the replacements. That's something. Or parts. Yeah, or parts, yeah, right? or parts. And Joel, is this a problem that you're seeing all across the country? Yeah, absolutely. Paul, it's, it's pretty alarming that, you know, and we, as Ed mentioned, we work with CTAA. CTAA did a, a, a study um, a few months back and looked at the supply chain challenges in the cutaway marketplace. And what they found were over 50% of the orders that were out there for cutaways were canceled, like Julie and Brooke mentioned. So just canceled across all 50 states. And 50%. then in addition to that, 50% of wow. the states had right. canceled contracts. Okay. Yeah. And then in addition to that, there's currently a 20,000 bus the cutaway bus backlog that's anticipated to jump up to about 26,000 cutaways backlog by 2026. Uh, just it's really difficult to get them. The delivery times are two to three years and the cost, as Julie and Brooke were mentioning, going from 90,000 to $170,000 for just the diesel cutaway is significant. But in addition to that, if you want to get an electric cutaway, Herta put out a bid for an electric cutaway. Uh, which lasts five to seven year useful life. And the cost of that electric cutaway was $388,000 for a bus that lasts five to seven years. It's a challenge that we as a bus coalition see all of these new resources coming in through the infrastructure package. We want federal money to go toward, be spent wisely and go towards needs in the community. But with these accelerated costs and with the slow delivery times, our members are getting really worried about uh, really implementing the law that uh, the way members of Congress wanted it to be implemented. Julia, what is happening locally, like politically to your funding sources when you come to them with these issues? What are you hearing from them? They're struggling with other types of issues. And so the funding that we typically got for match money for the vehicles is slowly dwindling and that become, creates another problem. And I think what I really want to say as the supply chain issue is is a big problem, but what that's going to entail if we don't come up with some type of a solution is smaller transit systems, especially in the rural areas where people depend on us for the services because there is no Lyfts and Ubers and other types of places for them to go. Um, If we don't have buses to transport people in, we're going to have to cut our services. 
And so this is like a major issue. And, you know, if we're putting 13-year-old buses on the road, we can't get parts for them. And so they're just sitting in lots, you know, because we can't use them. We can't buy new buses, whether they're gas or whether they're electric, we can't get them. So that was part of our decision to go with smaller like Ford Transits, which are great, but then you that in, requires more drivers, which we also know there's usually a driver shortage where we go, even though they don't have to have a CDL, that's still an issue too. So it's just perpetuating itself and it's going to eventually hurt the people that we're here to serve the most if we do not get a handle on how this crisis, which I will call it a crisis, doesn't have a solution at the end, which is why Herta took the lead on creating a, a coalition of sorts to go after a Buy America waiver for an electric vehicle that could help us get out of this situation. Go ahead. Do you have... What, 15 uh, electric buses you can put on the road today? You've got the federal money sitting there for those? We have 15 that we have been awarded uh, contracts on, but we don't have any orders out yet because it doesn't make sense for us to pay $380,000 for a cutaway electric vehicle that's going to last us five years. I don't think that's the best use of the, of the money. But yes, we could do that, which would help our situation drastically, but that we're just not there yet and unless this Buy America waiver should come through, which we're still very hopeful that it will. And Brooke, a, a cutaway bus for maybe some people don't, don't know what that, techno- what that terminology is. How many passengers would that hold? Well, that depends, you know, on the vehicle, but that could be anywhere from, for Herda, that could be anywhere from 10 to 18 people, um, some of them 20. Right. Just um, wanted to I, I, put out there, it's a mid-sized, a smaller, it's actually a smaller mid-sized bus. So, yeah. Yeah. Pe- people tend typically associate it with paratransit services, right, right. paratransit type of vehicle. Um, I do just want to add a little bit to the context of the cost of these cutaways and I know Joel mentioned $388,000, and that's right. That's just for the vehicle. That's not for the charging infrastructure. So we're talking another you know, six-figure investment to charge the vehicle. And that doesn't take into account when the batteries, the batteries have a separate useful life than the vehicle. And so what happens when this vehicle for Herta is expected, you know, it's a five-year useful life, but History tells me that bus is going to be in our fleet for 13 years. Yeah. Um, if, that bu- if that bus is in our fleet for 13 years, those batteries are not going to last 13 years. And then how do we replace those? Because that's separate. That's a separate dollar amount. Yeah. Um, so these are some of the the challenges that really kind of drove us, like Julia mentioned, creating the consortium with some of our peers in Washington and California, because we're all facing the same challenges and the same concerns. And Joel, one of the answers that you mentioned earlier, one of the possible solutions is a Buy America waiver, because there are manufacturers evidently outside the U.S. that maybe could help us, you know, uh, supply some buses to Americans, but they don't meet Buy America requirements. Is that what's right? Is that what's happening? Yeah, Paul, there's there are manufacturers that are uh, based in Europe and outside the United States that are interested in coming to the United States. Um, and that could be one possible solution to address some of the supply chain issues. Um, so we've been working with Herda 
on their Buy America waiver request, which was submitted to the Federal Transit Administration in August. And what we were really excited to see was we, uh, with their application that they, they went along with, with folks from Washington State and California, uh, CTAA organized a rapid 48-hour letter writing campaign to try to get other state transit associations to support this waiver request. And it's a little unusual for state transit associations to support a Buy America waiver request. You know, there's some political implications there. Within 48 hours, we only had a 48-hour period for when CTAA first put out a call for letters of support for the consortium's waiver request. Within 48 hours, we had 21 state transit associations sign on to that letter, which was a full-throated support letter for HERDA and the consortium's request for Buy America waiver, because they all know they're seeing these impacts all across the country, and they wanted to be part of this effort to to, uh, get this limited temporary waiver approved so that there could be some additional entrance from the European marketplace and elsewhere to come to the United States and start building that manufacturing base. And I think meeting the spirit of Buy America, what basically the waiver is looking to do is to bring more domestic manufacturing to the United States. And that if it's a temporary waiver, that would allow those companies to come here, set up manufacturing, but give them some time to set that up. Um, and then ultimately comply with Buy America within a time period. Um, so we think it's good for the industry, but we also think it's good for the short-term crisis that transit systems across the country are facing. And obviously those 21 state transit associations agreed as well. Ed, the um, the other issue that's happening right now is there's billions of dollars. Some of it you fought for us to get to uh, purchase zero emission buses. And now we're having another crisis when it comes to the manufacturers. Tell us about that. Joel, go ahead. Yeah, so it's it is a little. So I remember November 2021 when the infrastructure law was signed. Uh, shortly thereafter, there was an APTA conference, and everybody was so excited about the opportunities associated with all the new revenue that we've been advocating for for years. Um, so you know, going into implementation of the infrastructure package, we were all pretty excited. But then you started to see all of these complications with COVID, the pandemic, and the supply chain issues that were still lingering. And it impacts the small bus marketplace and uh, and still impacts the large bus marketplace as well. On the large bus space, we saw Nova Bus pull out of New York. Uh, we saw Proterra declare bankruptcy. So we really only have two major uh, suppliers of a bus manufacturer in the United States. And then the small bus marketplace, you're seeing a limited marketplace as well. So yes, we're so excited to all the investments that happened in the infrastructure package, but there are some really nasty headwinds that we're running against as well. Yeah. Those two companies are New Flyer and Gillig, right? The other two that are remaining to to meet by America that are uh, that are not bankrupt or pulling out of the market. Now, the one company, Proterra, was purchased uh, or they're in the process of being purchased by another manufacturer. So we'll see what happens there. Ed, wrap it up for us. Uh, where are we at and where are we going? Well, we need the FTA to quickly respond to the Buy America waiver request. They can get the one company that Julia uh, and the consortium put together. Winning bid is a company uh, from Turkey. Oh, yeah. I saw that bus at the CTAA Expo. I got a tour of that bus. That was a cool looking bus, man. It really is. And it's an actual bus. And it'll last twice as long. 
But the key to it is getting that Buy American waiver. Currently, they can ship those and have them between three and six months. So wow. that is, uh, and, and it's happening today. There was uh, one, uh, one system purchased with local funds, 15 of them, and they're all delivered. They're there getting ready to go on the road. Have another system of three that were purchased with local funds. They're on the road now. So those buses are coming in and we just need to get the FTA to move ahead, get this process going, because there are a hell of a lot of voters out there that can't get service because we don't have the buses. That's what bothers me and what concerns me is that we are going to have a real crisis across the country because we can't get people to dialysis or we can't get them to their doctors. And those are the people that we have to serve. And FTA needs to move and move today on moving that process forward. They've had it for several months right now. But the timing is now that they need to move ahead. Julia, I'll give you the final word as the executive director of the agency that's uh, helping to lead this coalition. Yeah, I will second what Ed says. I think we just need the government to move forward with this Buy America waiver we did go, the, the winning bid was a purpose-built bus, which also alleviates some additional issues. And it also has a longer battery life. And it is about hundreds of thousands of dollars cheaper than what we could get another bus for. So I would just encourage those that have the power that be, that do this as a temporary waiver so that we can get another bus company or two or three or however many we can go after to come to the United States so that there's more competition, which will be better for everyone. And it doesn't just affect the small system. These types of buses are also going to affect anyone who provides paratransit type services if they use the smaller vehicles. And that's a lot of our larger um, transit agencies as well. So this is a, a nationwide problem that has got to get fixed or those most vulnerable are going to be the the ones that suffer the most. And that's something we want to try to avoid at all costs. Well, thank you, Julia, Brooke, Ed, and Joel for bringing this issue to the fore. And uh, thank you for educating our listeners on your viewpoints on these important issues. It's great hearing from uh, some of the folks from the Bus Coalition and HERDA about some of the issues they're having when it comes to acquiring buses. We have billions of dollars now that Congress has given us for these buses, but there is some supply chain issues. And so I wanted to talk to the supply side. Uh, and so I had with me one of our industry stalwarts, a good friend of mine and an APTA leader, et cetera, Patrick Scully, who works with Complete Coachworks. And uh, I ran into them. I think it was at APTA, wasn't it, Patrick? You all had a reception there. We started talking about it. I said, you know what? I should get you guys on the podcast too to talk about your perspective on this. So welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you, Paul, and thank you so much for uh, inviting us on. And uh, we're all great fans, including not only the podcast, but everything else you do with uh, music and food. So there you go, baby. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, interesting time, Paul. Uh, a bit of a paradox, right? Where we've got almost record funding for zero emission equipment and new buses, uh, rolling stock. And yet we've got challenges with the supply side that, you know, primarily was COVID-based and has taken, it's a long tailwind uh, for the supply side to come out of that. And uh, so we've got a gap, right? We've got this period that we found ourselves in the last couple of years and 
and, and maybe just a few more months, hopefully, uh, or, or short of a year that, you know, supply chains trying to catch up from where, uh, we were before COVID and, and um, achieving deliveries for customers for specifically buses. But, you know, the way I see it, I call it bridging a gap because it, it's going to be short term. I think because the, um, uh, market is resilient enough to be able to come out of it has to be, obviously it's a partnership. But, you know, we've seen solutions that may not be on the forefront of everybody's list. And that's why we want to take the time to talk with you about those solutions. So, Patrick, uh, give us some of the solutions you mentioned. So uh, some of the problems that uh, folks from Herda mentioned were um, long delays in getting buses delivered once they order them. They also mentioned that the costs have gone up dramatically to buy some of these buses, 50 or 70 percent sometimes from kind of what their pre-pandemic price was. So if a transit agency finds themselves kind of faced with these kind of challenges, what are some suggestions you might have for them? Yeah, and I think, as I mentioned a moment ago, Paul, things will stabilize. Um, increases have certainly been there for all the reasons we know. I think, you know, some of them are here to stay. But the industry will stabilize. But in the, in, in the interim, all right, what are those solutions? First and foremost, refurbishment or overhaul of existing equipment allows agencies to spend money, already FTA funds for new buses, that they can deploy and use to take their equipment, refurbish equipment, uh, powertrain, seating, and basically allow those buses to last another six or seven years at much quicker time period. It can be done within six to nine months. And at essentially a few hundred thousand dollars, which is very significant reduction from the price of new vehicles. So that would be like a full-size bus that they could do that with? Correct. And you yeah. can do it with, with medium-sized buses. The, the challenge with uh, smaller buses, shuttle buses, the cost to refurbishment tends to get away from itself versus new. But yeah. full-size equipment, you know, whether it's 30, 35, 40, 60-foot vehicles, um, it all works and is a, certainly a viable option. That's interesting because I think, you know, a lot of people may think of mid, mid-life cycle overhauls for light rail vehicles, but maybe you haven't considered it for buses. Yeah, some do. Some have done it in, in-house, but it is certainly a viable option. The other items uh, that the other item that is also viable is to procure used equipment. Okay. Uh, they are available in the market. And essentially, it's short-term approach. Obviously, it would be for, you know, whether it's three to five years. But good quality used equipment is available in the market, it, available in the market as are leasing options for the same equipment. Okay. So you've got these options that are there as agencies face this dilemma of, hey, I've got them on order, long lead time, big money, bigger money. Yeah. What we do in the interim? There's clear solutions that are available. That's interesting. That's good. I don't think everyone is, is uh, was fully aware of all that. Um, where do you think this goes long-term? Do you, when you say you think that, well, that we're going to work our way out of this. I mean, on the electric bus side, we just we used to have four manufacturers in the U.S. One just uh, you know pulled out of the market completely, or said they were going to, and the other declared bankruptcy and is in the process of going through those bankruptcy proceedings. How do you see this stabilizing? Uh, if we have really only right now two to three viable electric bus manufacturers going forward, which is where everybody wants to go, right? Either there or hydrogen. Yeah, and this you know the the big overarching. I call it an umbrella is this path to zero emission, right? That 
Uh, we've had to make the change, whether it's on the agency side of how to run um, zero emission equipment or on the supply side uh, to, you know, get the, call it the production machine, revved up to produce uh, electric vehicles. Certainly, Paul, it's, it's, it's a, a paradox, as I mentioned earlier, that you got record funding and yet the supply side is shrinking. Where will it go long term? Market forces will will allow it to stabilize, whether it's new entrants that come in. I think the existing manufacturers have uh, stabilized things that are on the path to stable production. But it's still going to take a f- number of months, if not another year or so, to get back to that level where we were pre-COVID. You know, it's it's tough, right? And I, I do see that, uh, you know, the industry is taking steps. I know Dorval Carter has a uh, a task force underway right. that are identifying solutions, you know. Yeah, APTA, APTA sponsored that and the head of New York and the head of Chicago, our two biggest systems are helping to lead it. Yeah, and I think you'll see elements come out of that task force. The industry will correct, as I as I said, it has to. It's, you know, things have happened before in the past, whether it's 10, 20, 30 years ago, we've had this up and down on the supply side. I've, I've seen it personally. But together with the solutions that, we've identified here and bridging that gap until we get back to stabilization. The industry is is um, resolute and solid enough to be able to withstand this uh, kind of correction that we're in. Gotcha. Patrick, are there any other solutions you can talk to us about? Yeah, I think there's uh, one last item to bring up, and, and that is uh, the converting of existing fleet to zero emission um, propulsion. Again, available to market, Take existing equipment, take out the internal combustion com- engine components and powertrain and add in electric powertrain components and batteries. And again, it halves the cost of a new piece of equipment and done in a time frame of six to nine months, which is much, much quicker than you know, waiting for a new bus. So, you know, a number of options identified, Paul. Bridging the gap is the key. The industry is resolute. We'll see our way clear. Wow. Great information, Patrick. Thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate the time. This is Tris Hussey, editor of the Transit Unplugged podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's show with our special guests, Ed Redfern, Joel Rubin, Julia Castillo, Brooke Ramsey, and Patrick Scully. Now, coming up next week on the show, we have Eddie Van Stein and Wendy Whedon talking about the importance of rural transit. As Julia and Brooke mentioned, Public transit is essential in many rural areas for people to get to appointments and just connect with everything in life. Have you subscribed to the Transit Unplugged newsletter yet? Just head over to transitunplugged.com to sign up. Each week you'll learn about what's going on with Transit Unplugged, where Paul is, and get a chance to catch up on episodes you might have missed. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. And at Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.